one of the things that when talking to women about running for office, I hear, well, I I don't want to be criticized. And I say, they're going to criticize you if you do it. They're going to criticize you if you don't do it. People are always going to talk about you. Wouldn't it be better to be doing something, to be making change and have them talk about you? I've been having some mind-blowing conversations with women in preparation for an upcoming book I'm working on. These women, all fire starters, uncovered their spark and they're using it to make change in their lives and in the lives of others. During the month of January, I am so excited to share a few of these conversations, one each week, because we could all use a little fire in our lives as we start the new year. Make sure you're subscribed to my Substack at shannonwatts.substack.com to listen to these transformative conversations with women who are living on fire. I am so thrilled to be talking to Ashanti Golar. She is the president of Emerge, which is an organization dedicated to recruiting and training democratic women to run for office in America. For over 15 years, Ashanti has been a grassroots organizer and an activist on behalf of women and communities of color and progressive causes. She is a nationally recognized political strategist and worked as a political appointee in the Obama administration and also for the Democratic National Committee. Ashanti is also the founder of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, an award-winning podcast that was featured as one of the top political podcasts by Time Magazine, Teen Vogue, and Vanity Fair. Ashanti is bold and brave. She is a remarkable role model. She is powerful and principled. In other words, Ashanti is a fire starter. Ashanti, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Oh, Shannon, thank you so much for having me. You know, I just love you to death and really excited to have this conversation with a woman who is just so powerful and incredible and just really inspiring to me. I've read a lot about you, and I'm so impressed (laughs) by your background and how you came to be who you are today, what shaped you. But I think what struck me most was reading about how you were interested in politics as a little girl. This is not something that typically is of interest until we are older and we have context for the world and our lives, and yet... You said you thought to yourself, why watch Sesame Street when you can watch C-SPAN yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and watch all these amazing people fighting for what's best for the country? How did that come to you as a little kid? I was just drawn to it and it was just really seeing people, in my opinion, even at that young age, they were fighting for something. And I just found that to be so powerful and intriguing as a young person. And as I continue to think about it some more, it was people using their voice. And I love seeing women use their voice and black and brown people use their voice because my background is I do not come from a political family at all. There weren't discussions at the dinner table about politics. We weren't out at marches. We weren't doing campaign rallies. But I was just so drawn to the fight that people had, particularly about wanting to make our country better. And I just prefer to watch that because 
There was math. You had to count the votes. There was geography. You had to learn about the states. You were getting your history because you were just learning so much about the country and the people. And I just, I loved it so much. It just piqued this interest in me that has carried me to where I am today. You say that your family wasn't political. Tell me a little bit about your roots and your family and where you come from. I'm just a young Black girl from Las Vegas, Nevada, who loved politics. So really a single mom for most of my life. I have two younger brothers, just really trying to make it. You know, it was just very much about survival Oh, I love that. I didn't realize you were raised by a single mom. Yeah. How do you think you even got exposed to politics at such a young age? I mean, I wasn't aware there was something called C-SPAN until I was in college. We were on the couch watching it one day and I I flipped it on. And I'm going to be honest, at that age, I'm not sure if it was a clip of something on PBS or whatever, But I I remember those letters C-SPAN because I'm like, I can remember this. And I just fell in love with it. But it doesn't surprise me now because just in school, I was such a history buff. I loved the government classes. You know, I was that person who was really stoked to take their AP history test. I'm like, yeah, get to put all this knowledge, you know, out into the world and see how smart I maybe really am. But I'm just one of those people where anything that I can really learn that has to do with history and governance, but really those areas that were about people, Mm. because that is what I care about the most when it comes to politics is people and history. I loved reading about the evolution of the political parties and how we got to where we're at today. But I was really drawn to the women of history because there was just always that common thread of people and caring about people and wanting them to do better. If it was, you know, she she can be problematic, but even Margaret Sanger, just wanting women to have control of their reproductive freedom, thinking about the women who were behind the scenes at the March on Washington to see, you know, just the legacy of Senator Feinstein and her ascending during the year of the woman. What did your mom and your family make of this interest in politics? You said they weren't very political. Were they supportive or or confused? I think it was just kind of like, whatever, like let her, let her do her thing. It makes her happy. But it really wasn't until high school that it really took off when I had that amazing government teacher, Mrs. Sam King, love her so much, who encouraged us to volunteer. And I volunteered on the campaigns of the women that were running and to get really involved. That just sparked my interest. And when I went off to college, that's when it became college Democrats and young Democrats and getting involved with the state party. Tell me more about that teacher. I mean, you have this spark inside you from an early age and your family's supportive, but they're sort of not political. And you continue to seek out 
knowledge and, and ways to get involved. And then you have this teacher in high school. Yes. And she recognized that in you. Yes. So Mrs. King, her government class, life-changing. The way I can best describe Mrs. King is she was that teacher who gave you a voter registration form on your 18th birthday. That was her present to you. And she was just so politically connected, just really knew everyone. And the year I was in her class, we had a hotly contested U.S. Senate race. And she knew how to get both candidates to come to our class. And my issue really was the minimum wage or a fair living wage, which I still care about today. I have worked a part-time job to have extra money. I have friends that work part-time jobs to have extra money to support their family. I obviously thought everyone should be making more money. So she brought in the Democratic candidate who was up for re-election. I asked him about the minimum wage. He was extremely supportive. I was like, yes, my man. And then she brought in the Republican candidate who was a congressman who was running for the seat. And he was just very much against a fair wage. So I asked him why he didn't vote to raise the minimum wage. And he goes, oh, I did. And I said, you didn't. He goes, I did. I said, you didn't. And he goes, I did. And we get into this back and forth. And I say, sir, I can look up your votes. You did not vote for this. And he goes to me, you're wrong. And just being a young high school girl, I just responded with, you know what? You're not that hot. Your tie is ugly. And I hope you lose. The next day, Mrs. King calls me over and y'all, I'm just like, oh man, I, I'm in trouble. <laughs> my, my, my senior year, I guess is finally when I get in trouble in school. But she said the congressman called me and he admitted that he did not cast the vote to raise the minimum wage. And he did not like the fact that you called him out on it. And I was just so enraged. And I'm thinking, Is it because I'm young? Is it because I'm a girl? Is it because I can't vote? And all of those things were true. I was young. I was a girl. I couldn't vote. But Mrs. King taught me that I could volunteer. So I volunteered for the Democratic candidate every chance that I had. And that was a year that Senator Harry Reid won re-election over John Ensign by less than 500 votes. Mm. And for me, that just tied it all together, that the power we can have, if we're young, if we're girls, if we can't vote, I could influence other people's vote. And ever since then, it's just been politics, politics, politics. But where did that courage, that audacity come from? Is that something you always had? Because I don't think in high school, I would have had the courage to speak up. So now people like to say, oh, Shanti can get a little spicy. She has (laughs) spiciness to her. So I think that was the first time my spiciness really came out because it was insulting. It was so insulting to have someone say, you do not know what you are talking about. And to do it in front of your classmates. And when you're a girl and you're a young Black girl, you're just like, 
he just felt he had the right and there was nothing I could do about it. And I knew I wasn't wrong. I absolutely knew I wasn't wrong. And I guess we didn't have the word back then, but I guess it was being gaslit is what he was doing to me. And I just wasn't going to let that happen. So the the spiciness came out and I didn't even think about the ramifications. I didn't think about getting in trouble because I also think I knew in the back of my mind, Mrs. King had my back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even that day after he left, she she didn't say anything to me. She just gave me a smile and a wave, you know, as, <laughs> as I exited the classroom. But yeah, back then I I had the audacity and I'm I'm just glad that I did because I didn't get my personal apology, but it was recognized that I knew what I was talking about. I read that you've said, you know, even at a young age, you looked around and saw there weren't many women who were holding office that looked like you. Yeah. How did that impact you as you thought about getting involved in politics? It was definitely something where I had to question. I was like, do I want to do this? Because back then, the most prominent Black woman at the time was Yvonne Atkinson Gates. And she was always getting attacked left and right by everybody. And I was just like, this woman breathes. And it's like, you breathe wrong. Why are you breathing? And it was just so horrible to see. And just even as I started to get more involved in politics, I remember one time just seeing her on the news. And back then, she was with now Congressman Stephen Horsford. And a reporter asked just the most out-of-pocket question about oh, these Black people voting, should they be voting? Are they felons? And she just went all the way off, which I felt she had the right to do. But guess what she was cast as? The angry Black woman for calling out a stereotype that all Black people are felons. So it did make me think, oh my, oh my gosh, she has stepped up, she has done it. And it's a battle every single day. So that was the example that I had for my Black woman elected official. You know, this woman who in our hometown was always being attacked. And I saw the accusations against the other women. There was one woman who was extremely beautiful when there were always rumors about her marriage and having affairs. And well, this woman, though, she isn't married. So how can she be in elected office? How is she actually going to talk about what children need when she doesn't have children? Well, this one didn't go to college. So is she really smart? It's open now. But back then, the way it was just so normalized to talk poorly about women and their qualifications. And these were just things I was hearing from volunteering. And I was like, I just came here to learn how we were going to register these voters. And I'm overhearing these crazy conversations. 
it does have an impact on you. But I knew that it was wrong. And all it did was fuel me wanting to help women more and support women more because women win when you vote for them. And while these haters may not be voting for those women, so knowing that there were people that would and keeping that in mind just really wanted me to continue to do this because I wanted to be that woman who was in the corner for other women. It's interesting because I think some people would see that and and be made afraid or be concerned about criticism or the backlash who would shy away from entering the arena. Yeah. But it actually inspired you to stay on course. Yeah. I think with <laughs> criticism, it's it's just something that you are going to have to deal with. And one of the things that I say now, especially when talking to women about running for office, I hear that, well, I, I don't want to be criticized. And I say, they're going to criticize you if you do it. They're going to criticize you if you don't do it. People are always going to talk about you. It is unfortunately something that we just have to deal with as people in this world. And wouldn't it be better to be doing something and to have them talk about you, to be making change and have them talk about you, to be passing bills that are going to do good and have them talk about you. I think those are the things that far outweigh the criticism that you get. People are always going to have something to say, but what I've really learned too with criticism is it's really about that person. It's coming from a place of negativity. A lot of times it is you are doing something that they wish that they could do or they don't have the audacity or the energy to do. Or unfortunately, for whatever reason going on in their life, they just can't. But you are going to face that criticism. And knowing the difference between criticism and critical criticism and critical feedback. And I think those are two very different things. And there are things that I'm grateful for, you know, when they're coming from people who truly care and want to see you do better. And it's genuine. I want to talk more about criticism in a little bit because I've I've watched firsthand some of the criticism <laughs> that, that you have received uh, personally. But let's go back quickly. So you, you graduate from high school, Yeah, you go to college where I assume that you continue to stay immersed in politics. After I graduated, I went to go work for then Congresswoman Shelley Berkeley as her field director. I volunteered for her all the time. I just love Shelley. She was the only woman, only woman in the Nevada congressional delegation. And I just, I loved her. I loved her so much. And going back to the criticism, I love that she was just unapologetically her. It was the hair and the makeup and the outfits and the shoes. And she was just fabulous. And she owned it. And it was a part of who she was, where people would make fun of her talk or the way she laughed and, or even the way that she walked. And like, those are the things that make Shelly Shelly. It was why she would get reelected over and over again, why people knew that they could not unseat her. 
She was the perfect congresswoman for Las Vegas, Nevada. And I loved working for her. And I'm glad that that was my first job in politics, being able to work for her and just learning for her how she cared about the community, how she cared about her staff, just her knowledge. I couldn't have asked for a better first political boss. And when I was working for her, I was also secretary of the Nevada Democratic Party. I ran for that and I won. And I was also president of the Young Democrats of Nevada. And that was an organization that was founded in the 1960s. And I was the first woman to be the president in 2006. So that gives you a little bit more insight into the Nevada Old Boys Club that existed everywhere. And one day I got an email from Maria Stark, who was then the executive director of Emerge America. And she asked me if I would come to this informational session about bringing this group called Emerge to Nevada that wanted to change the face of politics. And I was intrigued working for Shelley, being secretary in the Nevada Democratic Party, young Dems, seeing, you know, for my past few years, what women elected officials had to deal with in Nevada. For me, it was an immediate, yes, put me on the RSVP list. And we had that original meeting. And I remember us sitting around the conference room table. We were at former Congressman Jim Bilbray's law firm. And it was a group of us saying, do we want to take this on? Do we actually think us, who were not major political players, didn't have tons of money, nowhere had any sort of gatekeeper status, who were we to have the audacity to think that we could actually do this? But we wanted to, and we formed Emerge Nevada, and I became one of the original co-founders and a founding board member of Emerge Nevada. And that was my introduction into the Emerge Network all those years ago. And it's why I say, you know, as president, I became president in February of 2020, that I'm not new to this, I'm true to this. That's how much I fundamentally believe in the work that we do here. Well, you had a major accomplishment, right? You helped elect the first majority female state legislature in 2018. Talk about that. Oh my goodness. That remains one of the best feelings in the world. In 2016, I was actually home in Nevada for that election. And I had friends that worked on Secretary Clinton's campaign and they were sharing the numbers that were coming in. And I think I knew pretty early on that it it wasn't going to go our way, especially with what we were seeing with what we needed in Michigan, Ohio, Florida, it wasn't looking good. But that night, we got to celebrate the fact that Emerge alums had given Democrats back control of the state assembly and the state Senate. And then we got to see the next cycle, more Emerge alums get elected to create the first majority woman legislative chamber, like in my home state. And that was just like the best feeling to think about, wow, just being in that conference room, you know, at that point, 10 years ago, just celebrating, oh my gosh, we're going to do this. But how did 
feel like the culmination of uh, your whole lifetime, right? This starting when you're a little girl, you want to see more women involved in politics. You want to see more women who look like you involved in politics. And you live in Nevada. You know, something that will always be so relevant, a top 10 memory. But it was also a reminder of the fact that change doesn't happen overnight. And I do think that gets hard for us because it's like, why isn't it happening? Why isn't it happening? And as political director, I oversaw the expansion to our Southern states. And I was having lots of conversations with our Southern volunteers and staff. They're like, we didn't have the wins that these states had. Like, it's not happening. And I had to say, it will. I mean, in Nevada, it took us 10 years to do what we just wanted to do in the state house. So it's just really that reminder, too, that we have to keep at it. Well, you raise a good point. And I experienced this with Moms Demand Action, which is a lot of times change is incremental. And yeah you take two steps forward and one step back. I mean, you can even see that in Nevada since that yeah. amazing election, right? The the state has yeah. gone backwards and it will go forwards yeah. again. How mm-hmm. do you stay positive and stay in the fight? Yeah. I'm going to say, and a lot of people don't like when I say it, but I don't see an end date to the work that we do, that there's always going to need to be the, the need to get more women elected, more Black, Brown, and Indigenous women of color elected, young women, unmarried women, LGBTQ women. Even when we think about parity, that's just 50% men, 50% women. It doesn't mean we're going to have parity in every state, across every office, across different ethnicities, backgrounds. We have to keep at it because as much as we are fighting for this change, there are other people who are fighting just as hard to make sure that this change does not happen. And we have to keep going. And especially these past few years, it's been so hard. Like, I know people are tired. We had to deal with the pandemic. We had a horrible president. We're just seeing so much injustice in the world. It It is easy to get tired and just say, I I can't do it anymore. It's too much. But I also realize that is what the ones who do not want us to succeed are counting on for us to just be so tired and burnt out and just say, screw it. Someone else is going to do it. But does that person really show up to Mm -hmm. do it? And I just have to keep in mind that 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 is what they want. They, They want for our spark to burn out. And especially when it comes to women running for office, I have to let them know, or not let them know, but more of a reminder that the sexism, the misogyny, the racism, the overall hatred, the online attacks, the threats, is part of the game. Mm. It's part of the system to not get us to do this. Because when we don't, things don't change. And the white male patriarchy continues to win. Well, speaking of which, you're the public face of Emerge. You're its president now. You have been for several years. And so you're its spokesperson. And (laughs) I was recently watching you being interviewed on C-SPAN. I think it was an early morning. And I, I watched the entire thing. 
it was like an hour long and they took callers mm-hmm. and every single caller was a man. Mm-hmm. Some identified themselves as either black or white. Some did not, but there was a mix mm-hmm. and almost all of them were critical of you and or black women. Yep. And I found that very unsettling, but also fascinating because the things they were saying felt so anachronistic and so intuitively and obviously wrong. And yet they obviously held these opinions strongly enough to call into a talk show and share them. And you were very centered and measured in your response do you have a strategy to deal with this kind of misogynoir, uh, you know, this kind of racism, this kind of sexism? You know, I'm not going to lie. It it sucks. It hurts. It gets exhausting. But having seen it from such a young age, I knew it existed. Being at Emerge, just for my time as political director, I got a little bit of it. I I wasn't the public face, but I was out there doing events and speaking engagements. But I knew when I took over the organization, it was going to definitely amp up. And what I know is, and this is something that I just keep centered in me all the time, is I cannot control situations. All I can control is how I am going to respond. And particularly in this situation, they really wanted to see, you know, someone who would help just really confirm what they were saying that women are too emotional and dumb and too erratic to be in politics, which a lot of the questions the men literally said, I one guy, the very first caller, I believe, said, I don't think black women should be in politics. And I was like, I was like, okay, kind of here we go. And then, you know, we were in the middle of it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're really not letting up. And by the end of it, when Teddy from Baltimore wanted to call in and say that Black women mayors were ruining all of the major cities, I was like, okay, y'all are going to get some mild smoke. Like, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go full spicy Shanti, but Teddy got the smoke because it was just so insulting Because what I had to break down for him is the fact that Black women actually aren't the majority of mayors in major cities. Back then, it was less than a dozen. We were seeing a huge increase in Black women mayors. And then he said that it was just something that women were doing kind of for fun and that people were voting for Black women for the aesthetic of just having a Black woman in office. And I'm like, you woke up on a Saturday at 8 a.m. and called in just to say that Black women mayors were only in office because voters like the aesthetic. One of our team members put on Facebook the interview and she said, this is what my 
colleague has to deal with as a black woman that I don't have to deal with as a white woman. And it was a lot of people just for me seeing my everyday reality. So for me, I I know for a lot of people, it was so shocking. You had texted me about it. For me, it did not surprise me. That's Mm. the thing. Well, let's talk about that kind of criticism and and microaggressions, but also macroaggressions, right? I I know you've experienced it. We've had this discussion before where people comment on your hair or your looks or the way you talk. Mm -hmm. What are the issues that, that women of color have to confront when they run for office? It, it's everything. You're just going to be criticized right out of the gate. And I do know one of the things that really helps me connect so much to women who are running for office is we just share so many similarities with me leading this national organization. I am just able to relate to them with all of the criticism that they face, the barriers that they face, the attacks that they face. We get it. You know, women running for office, women leading organizations, and you do really have to develop this thick skin. I had to get over it and just really develop that thick skin and just keep doing what I'm doing to the best of my ability. And also just knowing no one is perfect. I'm not perfect. I do think as women, we absolutely do get that label of perfection and that harms us a lot. Mm. Can you believe she did that? Why would she think this? Oh, what made her think that was a good outfit? Just everything because you're expected to be perfect. And you're scrutinized, right? Your hair, your body, the way you talk. Everything. And for me in particular, just I've been teased and criticized ever since I was a young girl for the way I look being so thin, the way that I talk, you know, the way that I would dress had all of that, you know, from middle school to high school, the bullying, all of that. Mm. And I'm like, I'm seeing the girls that I went to middle school with in adult form. Mm. Like, I don't think some people really, unfortunately, grow out of this, Mm. which is quite unfortunate and sad. But it really sucks when you have to deal with it coming from other women. And you just really have to learn how to be comfortable in your skin. And for me, the representation still matters for me at this age doing what I do. I did a tweet one time that I didn't expect to really go viral, but I was really excited to see Stacey Abrams run Mm -hmm. for office and win that gubernatorial primary with her natural hair. I love seeing Ayanna Presley when she was running for that congressional seat with her Senegalese twist, which is a style that I wear my hair. I love seeing these congresswomen with hoop earrings and black nail polish and wearing everything from heels to sneakers. I love it. That is just so important because I know the women in the Emerge Network need to see that. But young girls need to see that, too, that they're wearing that. And guess what? Their title is still Congresswoman. It cannot take that away from them. And I think that is just so important to show up 
unapologetically you when you're dealing with all of these criticisms, because there's someone out there that you're definitely inspiring. Talk a little bit about the importance of community and women, you know, the, the bringing out the best in other women and encouraging women to step out of their comfort zones and take risks and the importance of women celebrating each other. I'm a huge believer in shine theory. When other women shine, I shine. When my friends shine, I shine. For anyone who follows me on my social media, you will see me share things all the time that has the hashtag, my friends are dope. Because I, I want to celebrate my friends. I feel cool knowing them and what they're doing. I love celebrating what other people do because especially as women, women of color, I know what it has taken for us to get there, that it is not easy. It is extremely hard. And I want to celebrate that. And community, when you're a woman, it's so important. It is really at the heart and soul of Emerge with the training program for us, we really said from the beginning, we wanted to create this network of support. It wasn't just training women to run for office, giving them the tools to win, but knowing that they had other women who are going to be with them. And while we call it network, the alums actually call it the Emerge Sisterhood. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I see as I'm traveling the country. Everyone's like, oh, Shanti, we call it the Emerge Sisterhood here. Oh, our, my Emerge Sister it just became so organic in each state. And we now have this great, you know, national sisterhood that continues to grow. But that is one of the things that I love so much is that community at Emerge and to see them uplift each other. When if an alum is not running for office, she will go work on the campaign of another Emerge alum. You will hear them say, my Emerge alums were in the front row at my campaign kickoff. You know, my Emerge alums were the first ones to hold a fundraiser for me. My Emerge alums showed up and, you know, showed out at my swearing in. Just that feeling of knowing you have other people who are rooting for you that is just so important to women and it keeps us going. And for our alums, even when they're in the training program, one of the key things that we teach them is have your kitchen cabinet. You're going to have your campaign staff. You're going to have your family. You need your kitchen cabinet. And it is those people who are going to be there for you and cheer you on, but also those people who are going to give you the critical feedback that you need to know. Well, Ashanti, let's end by hyping you up. I know, for example, <laughs> you have a, a Brown Girls Guide to Politics and you're the president of Emerge. I'm just curious, you know, what is burning inside you right now that you're thinking about doing? What, what are your goals short and long-term? Oh my goodness. Long-term is to absolutely continue to see this network grow. I'm really proud of our Emerge 2035 vision that we have created. 
which really centers women of the new American majority, Black, Brown, and Indigenous women, women of color, young women, unmarried women, LGBTQ women. They are the voters who are fueling all these Democratic victories, and we want to see them put their name on the ballot. So really long-term, seeing how this vision that we have for the next decade continues to play out. I'm really excited about what we've been able to do since 2020, and I feel that we're just really getting started. And really for me, short-term is just helping people keep their light during this time, because I know the world is heavy right now, and it can get dark and scary because we've never lived through this, but we know our ancestors have lived through dark times. And just a reminder of how much our light is really needed during this time. And doing that through my work with Emerge and the Brown Girls Guide to Politics and just supporting women to own their power and their light. I'm sure everyone asks you this, Ashanti, but I have to ask you too. Do you ever see yourself running for office? I actually got a text from one of our alums who's a good friend, and she was sending me photos from Nevada. She was doing a event and she was taking photos with all of these people that I knew. And she has said, you need to come home and run for office. They really love you here. You should run. And I I LOL'd and I said, really much enjoying being the hype woman behind the scenes, but never say never. Good answer. And I, I'm going to keep reminding you that uh, you would make an amazing public servant. You were full of light and you were helping women and all people in America by getting involved in the political system. So thank you so much, Ashanti, for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I just love you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Firestarters. Be sure you're subscribed on Substack to shannonwatts.substack.com so you don't miss a single episode of our conversations. If this episode meant something to you, please share it with a friend. And thank you so much for joining me.